I'm Phil America, artist and activist, and this is Conversations with Creativity. We're releasing the podcast through Love Extremist Radio. Each episode, we're going to spend about an hour talking to a different creative as an exploration into different forms of creativity, talking to everyone from artists to actors, directors to designers. It's meant to be casual, almost as if you're sitting in the living room with us. I'm Phil America, and this is Conversations with Creativity. is Conversations with Creativity. My guest this week is Oakland-based sign painter, muralist, and artist Patrick Piccolo. Patrick and I have a friendship that dates all the way back to our younger years when we used to run around the streets of Sacramento and do graffiti. Since then, he's been in a, a couple of really well-known bands, had a good career as a, as a musician, had a good career as a graffiti artist, and now puts most of his focus on sign painting around towns, not only Oakland, but all over the country. He only wanted me to mention one thing when I give the bio, and that's that he's not a wage slave. Hey, man, how you living? Oh, you know, uh, just trying to uh, maintain some sense of normalcy right now, like everybody else. Yeah, like literally everybody else in the world. Yeah, um, wild. Hey, so... On all the other podcasts, I've kind of just gone chronologically. And I mean, you're probably the creative person that I've known the longest in my life. What what year did we meet? It must have been like 2001, maybe? Yeah, I think it was like 2001. Yeah. I was looking at pictures of us in 2002. Right. You know, so has to at least be before then. But uh, yeah, I mean, we, we first came became friends because of graffiti right was graffiti the first kind of like real creative thing that you put your energy into um i think i kind of got into a creative zone really through probably like skateboarding and then punk and hardcore music at the same time as graffiti like it was all kind of exposed to me at the same time and uh they seemed like obtainable outlets because you don't really have to be um like a crazy talented person <laughs> right you don't need you don't need a lot of money you don't yeah. need like literally it's accessible to anybody right the yeah the, the 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 bar to entry is is pretty low in punk and hardcore and graffiti we <laughs> <laughs> just go out and do so that was like really appealing to me right um, yeah it was it's always been more about like what how much you do like yeah. how you go about it as opposed to the actual like talent level or whatever in it that you see in everything else for sure you're you're like rated on how much you care and like how intense you are opposed to like actually how good it is. It's just like a plus if you're like actually listenable or like it's, you know, pleasing to the eye or whatever. So right. Even matter. But you, so you were, you started out in Wyoming, right? That's where I was born. Yeah. Cheyenne, you, Wyoming. And then you, uh, lived in Laramie, Wyoming, which is uh, like an hour away from there for a long time. 
Right. That's definitely where I first noticed. That's where I got into like punk and hardcore. And I noticed uh, graffiti because it's a railroad town. And so we'd go skate um, at this like curb right next to the tracks. And, you know, it's like 95 or something probably. So we would see a lot of stuff coming out of like Chicago, just going on that main line down the West Coast. And it wasn't like graffiti on freights today it was kind of like you know few and far between there was a lot of clean cars so and so is that is that where you started doing graffiti though was already in wyoming yeah that was the first time like you know listening to hip-hop and figuring out about style wars and just trying to do our own damn thing so It's just crazy because I think people, I mean, most people that we both know, me in particular, is like they don't have any relationship, especially in graffiti. They don't have any relationship to what it was like back then. But it's like there was no Internet. There's no there's no no influence. Like you have these kind of little things that you've pieced together from here and there. And then you like really start from from your own, especially in Wyoming, where you're not like around a like a, a scene that's that's come up and you can like find your place in that you're literally starting from nothing right oh for sure like fucking very insulated very like isolated and everything we were trying to do was like mimic stuff from the 70s and whatever we would see and that was like our starting point so it was just like weird shit what we were putting out but it was fun so we did it and it was easy there. So right. and then when when did you actually start to make music? Um let's see the first real band I guess that I was in was probably early high school I guess so like probably sophomore year um you know met up with like the same crew of people that I played music with for the next like 10 15 years at that point um and that was here in, well in california um outside of sacramento right um, also pretty insular and isolated really um so it was kind of a similar situation <laughs> as well, right, right. you know we didn't have a lot of like um local influence or um local community to vibe off of so we kind of like did our own weird shit as you know kind of the story of my life i guess right like just trying to figure it out listen to what we liked um you know try to take elements of what we thought was cool and uh you know try to make it our own i guess right so well i mean i feel like that was a lot of that was indicative of a lot of people that were that are our age is like just you kind of had to figure it out on your own and now everybody's influenced by everybody because they can just pull up a hashtag on Instagram or Google search something or whatever. And you start, the music all sounds the same. It all sounds like it comes, it's like a big jumble of something. You can no longer just listen and know the region that they're from. You can no longer see graffiti art and know, okay, this person's from Paris or Sacramento or London or New York or whatever. So it's like, it's all the same. Yeah. Everybody like, yeah more I mean, of a global community yeah. in in a lot of ways um yeah. but it's really kind of yeah taken away the uniqueness of 
certain uh, like local only type things. Everything is open to the whole world. Right. You know, and it's which is a gift and a curse, obviously. I mean, just like the internet as a whole is. But I mean, it's. Do you see now? Do you look now at graffiti and and music that you know is akin to what you were doing, whether it's punk or it's hardcore, and like see where people pulled influence from you and your contemporaries? Um. Yeah, there's a little bit of analysis that goes on, and um, I think. What I notice um, is I, I I look out, kind of going back to what we were saying about how um, people are influenced from all over the place right now, but you can kind of see how people try to keep it localized too and are kind of um, like painting for their friends and trying to like work in their friends' styles and, you know, play music and make music for like certain locations and their friends. So it's kind of like, it's not, um, it's not as organic. I feel like as it once was, but it's like, it's still there. So you can kind of see, um, styles and, um, like genres still attached to, to, to geography and a place and a time. Um, if you look for it, right? Like, I think I look for it more than I ever would have even thought to look for it um, before everything kind of started being a, a barrage of uh, influences from all over the place. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I, you, I think you have to kind of look for it and it's more um, intentioned than it ever was because you didn't know any better before you had these influences, right? You right. just kind of vibed off what you saw. So I still notice that, but it almost, I don't know. I don't think it's contrived. I think that's the wrong word, but um, it's more intentioned, right? Like people are like, yeah, I like this, like, you know, uh, um, like Oakland style of doing things or, you know, like California Mm -hmm. sound, that kind of stuff. So, Well, it's interesting because there's, I mean, First of all, everybody's traveling a lot more. So you're having a lot more actual genuine influence from being in a place and being around people as well as the internet too, right? But like, right. what what's really interesting to me is, I mean, any form of creativity, it can be anything from, you know, the culinary arts to music to graffiti to visual arts, whatever. It's, I mean, it's all self-referential and it's all kind of pulling from the people that are around you as well as the people before you and all good art should be that way anyways. And I guess as long as we start to see more and take in more. Oh man, sorry. Uh, <laughs> as we start to uh, see more and take in more and there's more influence, like, I mean, more media around you to absorb, I guess you start to become influenced more by what you're seeing, right? Right. Oh yeah, totally only natural. Like you're inspired by whatever actually inspires you. So that's just yeah. kind of the, the the way of the world and what we work with these days, which is just different than how it used to be. And, you know, like you said, good and bad, right? Right. Well, I mean, when you look back on that time, you know, thinking, I mean, I'm more than a decade even back then. Right. What, throughout that kind of time span of both music and graffiti, was there people who influenced you within those those kind of subcultures? Was there graffiti writers who really influenced you that you would point to 
was or even a, a place that was influencing you and was there um music that was really influencing you yeah i think you know when i first started getting into graffiti i noticed what was happening in san francisco during that time because it was close for one but it was also in like the skateboarding magazines and uh it had you know people like you know uh twists and uh like cycle and whoever else was in the city at that time that was like really big and everybody kind of knows about um was like what caught my eye and i think i liked the weird shit that twist was doing um mostly because he had kind of like a political overtone mm. and so that kind of um made me feel like uh it was, there was like more of a duality, I guess, in graffiti, which I wanted to explore more. Um, it's, you know, an artistic expression, it's vandalism, but it's also like a political expression just in itself. And you can make it even more impactful by um, actually politicizing what you're doing. And so that was intriguing to me as like a kid who is into punk and like, um, learning how to be politicized as a teenager in the nineties. <laughs> well, um, yeah. People forget about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, it was pretty insular and kind of figure shit out on your own in that too. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that that was a big influence on me. Um, of course, like whatever was like accessible, you know, like the whole style wars thing was like legit, uh, an influence because that was accessible to me. Um, I could, I could view that. I saw that, um, it wasn't contemporary, but I didn't necessarily care if I even realized that it was like kind of what had happened, you know, at that point, like 20 plus years ago in New York. Um, but you know, me and my friends at the time were just, into it we thought it was cool so that's what we tried to mimic and that's what we tried to vibe off of and the same thing was true with music right like we were we would listen to like old new york hardcore and um we would listen to like you know outdated california punk and that kind of was all that we we knew we didn't we had it we weren't maybe old enough and we weren't um we we were still too isolated to find like more localized contemporary scenes in in all of those worlds so we just kind of like vibed off of what was easily accessible so mm -hmm. it, it it was it was it ended up being really similar <laughs> in right. in a lot of in a lot of respects so I mean, you said that, I mean, you had, I mean, you, you've always been attracted to things that had a message or had a political stance or like a socio-political stance. And obviously that's why you were attracted to Twist, like, and obviously that came out in your work as well. Was there, was that because of punk, would you say, or because of music as a whole having that influence on you? Or was it something else that you were, you always cared about or what, what was it? Yeah, I mean, um, I think, like, punk music, the punk scene um, was influential in that it 
it spoke to values that I was already, um, that I was trying to articulate and I was trying to, um, like cultivate and see, and they felt true to me. Um, Mm -hmm. it felt authentic. Um, and it, it, it for like the, the, the punk music and the punk scenes and the punk ethos, um, like further expanded what I already was kind of like trying to find and, um, you know, answering questions that I had, but, it, but at the same time, creating more questions for me to explore and to rethink, um, about things that, you know, I, I noticed and felt uncomfortable with in, um, society as a whole, like, um, consumption of animal products and treatment in place of, um, you know, um, you know, women in society, um, you know, people of lots of different sexual orientations in society, stuff that, um, was kind of glossed over, especially I feel like in the nineties. Um, I, I actually feel like we've kind of moved into a more positive direction, at least here in this part of the world, um, as far as what's acceptable and what's not. Um, I think that it was way more acceptable for, um, in mainstream society for people to be homophobic and, um, listening to punk and seeing, um, queer writers like Hart in San Francisco um, be out um, was something that was like just punk in itself. You know what I mean? And that spoke to me. So was there, was there specific uh, musicians or bands as a whole that really spoke to you at the time and spoke to the, you know, those values? Sure. Like I remember the first time that I heard, minor threat and figured out about um the concept of straight edge as a scene that really spoke to me um you don't have to uh you know drink and um party to be uh to be antisocial and to be um you know uh part of the part of the vanguard it's not it's not a prerequisite you can live your life, um, you know, uh, free from, uh, uh, eating animal products and doing all of that shit. And it's part of something bigger. It it speaks to your own personal ethos and what you've kind of like already started to figure out, but, um, you don't have to be like, um, an outsider with that. You can be like an outsider with your own group. Um, so minor threat was for sure. One of them. Um, I heard earth crisis, um, and other like heavier music after that and started to really get into that. Um, was there, was there, uh, I mean, cause you played, you, you toured, you played huge places in terms of like, um, respect within the scene. Maybe it's not, uh, Staples Center or whatever, Madison Square Garden, because that's right, not right. <laughs> that music was being played, and and you never people within the scene wouldn't want it to be played there. But like, what was the the highest point for you when you look back on it? Where 
Yeah, like, you know, it, it got really serious, kind of, as far as serious as that shit can get. Um, but right before all that happened was kind of my favorite. Like, when we would be on tour and would barely be making enough money to, like, you know, make it to the next show. Um, but I was kind of stoked when shows were canceled and, like, weird shit would happen and... We could spend, you know, just days out on the road and didn't have any, like, you know, um, uh, promoter calling us, telling us that we had to be loading in at a certain time and stuff. Wow. Um, it was kind of like before it got really serious that it was the most fun for me because we could, you know, fuck around and explore and ride bikes and paint and, you know, meet new people and you know, kind of try to figure out how to do this life thing as, you know, 20 somethings before there was Google Maps and before everybody had cell phones. And I don't know, it was just kind of a a more exciting time, I guess. And then um, we started to try to like, take it more seriously, which is what, you know, we thought we should do. And it seemed like the cool thing to do, right? Like, play shows, better shows to actual people instead of like you know one other person and the other bands that were playing that show um but it became kind of like almost a job after that and i mean it was a job to a degree i mean it was you were definitely oh, sure. a yeah. musician at the end of the and day i, I quit <laughs> <laughs> this is the guy who also has a job right now that's a creative job but yeah go on well, yeah, I mean, I've never, I've, I mean, I've had square jobs for sure, but like, I I don't know, I don't really thrive um, having a square job, dude. Um, yeah. I never really have. Um, yeah, no, I have a lot of respect for working class people in certain ways, but definitely, I could never do it that much is for sure. Yeah, I just, I don't know, like, I, I, I definitely will have a square job again if I need to, but. I, you know, I hope <laughs> I can continue to work for for myself. And I kind of always keep, you know, falling back into that. Like when, when we were doing the band thing, when we weren't out on the road, I, I was doing the bike messenger thing and then would do that a lot, like for myself as our own company. Um, yeah, you started a company. I remember you and you and somebody else. Yeah, yeah, me and like two other dudes were doing our own company that was, you know, not super sustainable really, but it made enough for us to survive off of. Right. Um, but again, we were working for ourselves, so we could kind of, you know, fuck off if we needed to and do it, you know, not have to listen to a boss. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so valuable. I'd take that over twice as much money any day. Oh, for as sure. As long as I can eat, I'm good. But yeah. So for that <laughs> was that when you kind of switched over to start to um, get into sign painting? Yeah, um, I I started to I, I noticed hand painted signs and like realized that there was still an active culture of that man, I don't even know, like it a long time ago, definitely probably because of graffiti when I figured out that to make like a silver marker, you'd use sign paint. You're like, okay, so people are still painting signs with sign paint, right? And yeah, if you can buy it, then 
Right. Yeah, and you, I, I think like the graffiti aspect um, was kind of the gateway for noticing that because I would notice um, like wall signs and stuff that was painted big um, and kind of realize that, you know, somebody's fucking doing that. That's somebody's job, right? To, to paint that shit. Um, so I started noticing like the contemporary stuff like that. But I also was really into the older signs that were still around. And I guess that's the historian in me. Which no, I, I, I remember riding bikes with you in Sacramento, downtown Sacramento, a couple of times and you pointing out old signs and being enamored by them. And it's that's something that's always stuck with me. So for uh, sure. Yeah. Like I you know, like a million years ago in that same era when we were riding bikes around Sacramento. I was trying to make like a zine of all of these disappearing um, like neon box signs and stuff like that. I never did but, like everything else. I kind of just like took a bunch of pictures and never, <laughs> never made the zine. But um, I definitely started noticing um, that kind of stuff that was like in our like decaying belt world that was a vestige of the past. But I really appreciated the aesthetic. And definitely, like, it planted the seed for sure for what I'm doing today, you know, so. And, like, less for me and maybe more for anybody else who's listening, is there, can you kind of, I mean, it's, first, uh, one, one part one is a question. Like, is sign painting for you a subculture much like um, the music you were into and the graffiti you were into? And then... Secondly, can you kind of explain that art, that subculture, that um, trade, however you kind of want to describe it, to somebody who doesn't know anything about sign painting? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a distinct culture around sign painting, first and foremost, to answer that first part of the question. Um, and it's, um, you know, similar to to uh um a, like a graffiti or you know a, a music culture and that it's kind of similar people it seems that get into it especially like this generation of sign painters um i can get along with like a lot of the people that i meet um and there's a bit of a scene around it um there's like what's called like meets where, you know, a bunch of sign painters go and talk about tricks of the trade and lettering and paint a bunch of shit and kind of like creatively vibe off of each other. Um, and um, I mean, I, I don't know if I've, if, if it's ubiquitous in, in the sign painting world, but there's a lot of kids that, you know, or adults now that used to be like kids going to hardcore punk shows and have a similar ethos. There's a lot of, like a lot of the sign painters that I'm friends with um, are vegan and um, listen to punk and, you know, old school hip hop. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it seems like a pretty, pretty, standard (laughs) gateway to being a sign painter you get into graffiti you start to notice letters and letter forms and you know you can't really 
hold down a square job and <laughs> you're kind of a fuck up, but you can make nice letters and you care about it enough to practice and you figure out that you can make a living out of it. And there's definitely a lot of people around that, that do that. Um, well, how, I mean, how does somebody, for somebody that doesn't know anything about sign painting, how does a sign painter, a professional sign painter like yourself, like how do you make money? How does it, come about it's not like i'm gonna go to the sign painting store and order a sign for my shop yeah like mostly it's small businesses like all the fucking businesses that are closed right now um cafes restaurants um uh tattoo shops um you know those kind of businesses where they're trying to sell a product or a service but it's um they're trying to sell a product or a service that's also um a personal thing um a a quality thing um it's not something that you can necessarily easily market like a big box store or um you know, at like a Starbucks, they're trying to differentiate themselves. And so they want to extend that aesthetic into their, um, their whole, their whole scheme. And so they'll hire a sign painter to do something by hand because it's got that human touch, right? It's, you're not putting up vinyl stickers. You're, um, you're going out there and you're having a human do something and have all the imperfections and perfections that only, you know, a human hand can do. It's not something that a computer generates and is thrown up, you know, perfectly on a window or a wall. Um, It's imperfectly perfect. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's also, it's it's interesting because it's both like an art, and an artistic outlet but it's also like a straight up job job like mm-hmm. when you know anybody who's done like any extensive like mural projects knows that it's a lot of fucking work to put a bunch of paint up day after day after day up and down the ladder and you know out in the elements and stuff and so it's got this like being a sign painter you've got that like weird mix where you know, you are doing something creative and artistic. Um, but at the same time, you know, you're doing work and you're answering to clients and you're kind of like trying to incorporate other people's visions into your artistic vocabulary and artistic toolbox, right? Right. Uh, you have different clients who want different things and have different varying levels of trust in you. and Right. Yeah, like, you know, some people want to micromanage the whole project and you have to do a lot of, you know, sketches and backs and back and forths. And other people are like, yeah, I've seen you do this, this and this and, you know, just do your thing. And, you know, that's obviously the ideal, right? (laughs) For for a lot of reasons, um, that's the ideal, but... um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's 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 pretty interesting. I, I think one of the things that I like the most about it is that um, it's 
never kind of the same day. Every day is kind of a different day. Like some days mm. I'll be in my studio just like um, kind of painting signs for fun or finishing up, you know, a client sign. And other days I'm like really like, you know, uh, out there working up on the ladder and um, putting in a lot of like actual hard work. Um, Same. Like I've done a little bit of it and more in, in relation to like artworks or where there's like more of a concept and no client and it's right. fucking miserable. <laughs> and yeah. I'm, I'm like looking for 80% good. You're out there looking for 110% good. And that's, you know, it's, I, sure. I don't know. How do it. Yeah. It, it, you know, there's things to do to, to make it, um, you know, worthwhile. It's always fucking satisfying to finish a project and like be able to step back and be, you know, like, damn, I just, you know, created that today. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if it's, you know, some, um, I don't know, coffee shops logo that you just reproduced, but hella big on the side of a wall or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, weird shit. But, um, no matter what it is in you, you've, you've created it and taking a, taking something and made it bigger or different or, you know, put it out there in the world, like by your own hand and you use methods that you've learned over a long period of time that, you know, not everybody can do and that there's just like a general satisfaction in that um, no matter what. So like, are you even after a long day, day Right. I mean, when you're driving around or riding your bike around the city, are you like looking at it? Are you seeing these things and you're seeing your kind of footprint and fingerprint on the city and being happy about seeing uh, the work that you do when you're out there, like in the same way that you would graffiti? Yep, absolutely. It's like the same thing. You can cruise down the street and be like, I did that shop. I did that shop. I did that shop. Like, I used to have this other shop over here, but it's not there anymore. And like, you know, I've got tons of pictures of all the jobs that I've done and it's the same. It's, it's, it's me in a legitimate way, putting my mark on the city and it's almost more subversive that way. Right. Like it's almost like my little secret because a lot of people will be driving down the street and have no idea that the same person has done all of those same things but then there's other people who will notice hand-painted signs and can be like oh that's that same dude like i can tell by his casual lettering that that's the same dude that's painted all of these signs so you know what i mean it's like it's like a little secret club within a secret club kind of like graffiti so so much like graffiti i mean yeah Yeah. there's those little nods and if you know if you're in the know if you're in the circle you know, and you're only trying to impress those people or outrun, outpace those people anyway. So it doesn't matter what mom thinks or whoever Becky up the street thinks it it really only matters about the people that you're, you're, you know, your contemporaries. And at the end of the day. Yep. You for sure want a happy client and you want to get paid, but you're painting signs for other sign painters pretty much too. So was there, was there influence from, I mean, you touched on it a little bit. Was there influence from music and graffiti um, that you see now come out? Um, yeah, for for sure. Um, 
I, I definitely, um, like, I, th- I think the, the graffiti influence is, um, pretty explicit because it's really satisfying to put paint up on a wall. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and to, to be able to get paid to do it and have it be your job. And it's not like, it's not the same as like doing like a legal wall because that like takes away some of the spirit of graffiti, like, but you get the same satisfaction of like putting paint up on a wall and creating something. Um, and you're getting paid for it instead of paying for it. <laughs> right. For sure. For sure. Um, and, and it's just like, um, it's, it's fulfilling in, in a certain way, in the same way that graffiti was. Um, and being able to like um, progress and change and try new things the same way that um, like someone who writes graffiti for a long time does um, like that element exists in, in kind of a similar way when mm-hmm. you're painting signs. And I feel like um, I, I, I think it's more abstract as far as an influence in, in music um, but I think it, it's there. I think it's just a little bit harder to explain. I think one of the cooler things about um, being a sign painter, um, and, like knowing and learning a craft, um, is that you can, especially a, a craft like that, is um, you can take these elements because there are rules to like you know, letter forms and how you use the brush and what brushes to use and methods and stuff like that. And you can take that and do creative work. Like you're maybe painting something that looks really similar to a sign, but it's not a sign. You can make it, you know, a a piece of art, right? Like Uh you can create your own messages that are done, you know, like, like you would paint a sign traditionally but you could have it, you know, say, you know, some shit that you want it to say that's just stuck in your head because you're listening to a song with that refrain repeating and it, you can just paint it out and have it have it be your own thing using all of these, all of this muscle memory, all of the supplies that you have available to you because you have your, your shop, you know what I mean? You can produce real quote unquote art at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that can also influence your commercial work too. It's, it's weird being a commercial artist, right? Like um, it's overwhelming and underwhelming at the same time, right? Like um, both in a good and negative ways, because you're always kind of thankful that you get to like, have your hands on and you know go draw all day or whatever right which sounds great if you're an artist but you have to like you know work some shitty job that you don't care about like you're like oh I wish I could draw all day um and it is great like and you do appreciate that but at the same time it really is work and you're not always doing the most inspired thing or you might not even be working for a company that you like ethically vibe with like mm-hmm. i did some shit for airbnb last year and when i was working at new bohemia signs we would always be doing shit 
at the Facebook office in fucking Silicon Valley. And that always felt a little bit ethically dubious. Um, Mm. But it also pays the bills. I did some shit for for fucking WeWork also. Um, Mm. I guess that was year before last. Um, And it almost, some of it feels like a bit, you know, like they're exploiting your craft, <laughs> but at the same time, it's hard to say no when you know, you gotta, it's your job too. Right. And you just charge them double or whatever. <laughs> I mean, is, there, is there things that you've said no to in terms of like, that just completely doesn't vibe with your ethics or even, even if not, is there things that you would absolutely say no to? Um, yeah, there's definitely things that I would say no to. Um, like, I wouldn't do anything for a cop, for sure. Um, like, I know that there was this uh, ice cream shop that was opened up um, up here in Oakland by some, like, pretty shitty ex-cop. Like, shitty to the point where he was, like, kicked off the force for fucking sketchy racist shit. Um you so, gotta be really like, racist to get up, get kicked off, right? Of yeah, like you gotta be fucking pretty over the top. So, <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, to the relegated to only being able to make ice cream from here, right? On. For sure. So, like, definitely wouldn't fucking do anything to be associated with that. Um, like, um, yeah, I don't know. There's, you know, I, everything's case by case for sure. Um, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I have a pretty self-selecting uh, client base because like 99% uh-huh. of my work seems to be like referral based. So uh-huh. I'll do, you know, uh, I did a bunch of shit for like Timeless, which is an all vegan coffee shop up here. And then like the butcher's son gave me a call and um, another vegan bakery out in Benicia gave me a call and it all kind of, works in this little insular group where I don't have to like worry about the butcher shop giving me a call. You know what I mean? So like I haven't had to have to had to face that um, ethical dilemma yet in my career. That is one of the best vegan restaurants in California for sure. Oh, for sure. Ugh, I need to get back up there and eat more food as, as soon as things calm down. Man. I'm, right. I'm just... as soon as there is food to eat out. So Right. What uh? Fast forwarding to kind of like today. What what does somebody do during these times? I mean, are you sketching and planning on going back to work when you can? Are you able to actually go out and do a little bit of work? Or yeah, it's it's weird. Um, I feel like if I didn't have like the adult life that I find myself having now with kids, um, I could be out hustling a little bit more. Um because I do have a little bit of work. It's just not anywhere the same magnitude and consistency that obviously it would be if I had like my usual client base out there in full swing. Um, But, you know, I, I've been busy ish. I just haven't, I'm not able to, to get as much work done as I could be getting done because I've got all these fucking kids to take care of and do homeschool and fucking life shit to deal with. Um, and it's also 
sketchy to be out and about and, you know, working outside unnecessarily. So I'm not doing a lot of on-site work. I went up to Petaluma last week and did um, some gold leaf windows, but, you know, that kind of work, you're the only person there anyway. (laughs) So that is the one thing about your work is that you can actually not always, generally always get something done by yourself. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like 99% of the work I do is alone. Every once in a while, you need to like get a buddy to help you, um, like hire on another sign painter for a day to like help you with some big project. Um, which is, you know, it's cool. Um, it's cool that working for myself, it doesn't take a whole lot for me to be like busy and at capacity. Um, but if I lose a couple of big jobs for like, because of this shit like this, um, it makes a bigger impact too. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, I haven't, I've had enough to, to work on, um, to kind of keep myself busy. Um, it's been an opportunity to do like, um, paper window signs for people, which is pretty rad because you can kind of do whatever you want creativity wise. Um, they'll just tell you what they want it to say and you can do it kind of however you want. Cause you know, I'm mostly doing them for trade or just like a little bit of cash and trying to focus on speed and just doing stuff fast and having fun with layouts and looking at old, like, you know, old school um, grocery store window signs and stuff like that for my, my inspiration. Um, and is I, there other, is there somebody right now? I mean, I guess, two questions is there somebody right now who really inspires you and is there somebody throughout as long as you've been actually working on um the craft of and the artistry of painting signs is there somebody who mentored you yeah i did an apprenticeship for two years with derek um mcdonald who does golden west sign arts who's lived all over the place now I think he was originally a Reno kid. Um, I met him through Haiku, actually. They were homies. Um, And he's now lived all over the place, but had a sign shop in Berkeley um, for many, many years. And he's creative-wise and layout-wise, definitely one of my favorites and still... um, you know, the, the the person that I go to first to ask questions or um, bounce project ideas off of. And he's continued to flow me work and give me referrals. Like I would not be doing this if it wasn't for him and his help. So That's he's definitely funny. like the number one guy um, for me. But um, as far as other contemporaries, um, Ken Davis, um who's also just a great person um a fantastic artist um definitely more on the art art side than the sign side i would say these days mm-hmm. um although he has a really solid sign background and can paint a better sign than most just like straight up um working joe sign painters out there right now but he definitely does a lot of like gallery work and um stuff on the more artistic side like the fancier 
glass gold gilding side end of the of the craft which i guess i mean i do uh, gold leaf windows but i do kind of blue collar gold <laughs> i love that highbrow gold <laughs> a great name for a business oh for sure yeah you gotta you gotta put that one in the back pocket for something um and there's something else i was going to ask you that was important but uh, aside from that what uh i mean who who influences you today that is not a sign painter that you like see the influence or the imprint on the work that you're doing or even the way you work or anything oh man yeah um that's a good question um You know, there's definitely a lot of people, um, I think right now, I don't know if it's just kind of the mental place that I'm in, but, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> no, but just like, like, um, people who are, um, like on the vanguard of whatever it is they're doing, but especially kind of more on the political end of things, like whether they're a journalist and exposing stuff or they're um, doing like harm reduction work, like um, working needle exchange or working with unhoused people um, stuff. That's like more on the fucking like um, grassroots unseen level of shit opposed to the artistic level of shit. Um, And it's, I think it translates for me because um i I guess it just must be the the ethos right like um taking something that seems like um an insurmountable task but um willing to examine it and like do what you can even though you know that it's going to be an insurmountable task because you know that's that's life right um that's that's it, it, life is like you know a series of of never-ending projects kind of right and i think anybody who's out there um you know doing good or creating joy in in this world where there's so much misery and um terribleness um it can be inspiring and you can take that in and you can take that energy and do whatever, you know, you do and whatever you're focusing your time and energy on and um, trying to put out that same kind of good energy, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's definitely like, I think of things more abstractly, I think lately, especially since we've been in like a weird state, even before all the, the, um, shelter in place stuff just you know since we have this fucking maniac in the white house and um everything is just kind of shifted and in this weird negative direction all over the world um i think i pay more attention to um to that kind of shit than than i would have (laughs) right well you've always paid attention to it and the one thing that i've really always respected about you since as long as I've known you is it's always been about showing your values through your actions and through your way of life than and a lot less about screaming it at the top of your lungs. And I mean, you see people virtue signaling so much today where 
their entire identity is based on their social media posts, but it's not actually how they live. And you since day one have always chosen to take the the harder path and just zip your mouth shut and do it, do it the right way. And, and that to me is like the thing that really, I see your influence on not only myself, but on other people that I meet that you've just met, other people that I know that you've known forever, where they're really inspired just by like the way you walk in life, you know? Yeah, and like I think that really dovetails into what I, what I was like saying as far as who influences me, and that's that is the mentality a hundred percent of the people that I respect the most, right? Um, the the ones who um, you know attempt to walk the walk and can admit when you know they're they've made mistakes and um, can you know shift into different directions and take on new things and do different things. And that's, that's how I want to live my life. Um, I well, want- I mean, of your life is very much that like you take a stance in the choices you make and the choices you don't make, whether it's, you know, not eating anything from animals or whether it's, you know, not working at a big corporation or, you know, and working for yourself or whether it's not being a part of doing drugs and that are killing half of our, you know, our youth. So, I think that that's it's it shows in just how you walk in life. But I mean, is there somebody? Um, is there something that you're doing that uh, you're really passionate about that doesn't necessarily correlate with with any of that that you're actually like taking action on, or somewhere where you're sending money or a cause that people uh, should be paying a little more attention to? Yeah, I mean, you know, we have just adopted our daughter um and that was through the foster care system which was been it's fucking hell um how long how long has she been with you it's been um yeah we we've been we were we've we've fought we started fostering her march 1 of 2017 and the adoption was finalized like february of this year um but yeah, dude, talk about a fucking, you know, um, racist, um, fucking socially unjust system. Um, just, it's just fucking garbage. I mean, I'm sure it's no surprise to a lot of people, but you know, it's, um, the, the, the fact, I, I don't know. I, it, it's, it's, I mean, the it's fact that you can can be some gun toting you can own 50 guns and you can make a baby tomorrow with right. you just met but you can't adopt a child who's in need and needs a family is it's so insanely backwards right yeah and you know like i it, it's been it's just been like a really fucking heavy life-changing situation because um the, the fact I, I think it's ironic that Alameda County um, and most foster care systems currently um, claim to be pro reunification with parents, but at the same time give basically just lip service to these parents. Like they don't give them any real tools. Like a lot of these, a, a, a lot of, my personal situation in this is that um, the her my my daughter's birth parents were kind of given um, a list of things to do, but never given 
any like means or instructions on how to be able to do that. Um, and it just kind of adds up to this long, expensive, painful process that um, is just fucked, right? Um, and nobody wins is is what I've learned from this. Like, That's um, the tagline of this country. <laughs> yeah, when nobody wins, right? When when somebody you know, it, it, it's it's joyous to be chosen and wanted um, by a family. But at the same time, when we adopted our daughter, like her her birth family lost a daughter um, in a lot of respects. Um, and, they, and it's not because they don't love their daughter, um, but it's because they don't have the tools. Um, they're mired in, you know, whatever um, mental illness or addiction or socioeconomic circumstance um, racism, all of these things like were key factors, um, into why they lost the daughter that they love. Um, and why my daughter lost, um, a chance to be with her birth family. And that's some fucked up heavy shit. And I'm still trying to sort through that and live it at the same time every day. Um, because honestly, you know, we went into the whole process of fostering um, as like an anti-racist action we had hoped, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because the majority, surprising, you know, to no one, the majority of children in the foster care system are um, children of color and come from families of color. And um, these kids are, you know, justly or unjustly depending on how you feel about you know law enforcement in general um are taken away from their families and then um because of the lack of foster families um are shipped all over the state and as a result reunification becomes less likely because these parents often poor often without you know help from uh family members or other resources relying on, you know, the unreliable bus um, are required to see their fucking kids a certain amount of times a week in order for reunification to happen. But that literally you can't happen if they're supposed to go to Bakersfield from Oakland every week to fucking see their kid. So that was kind of like the impetus that got us to foster in the first place. But you know, it just opened up a fucking whole other can of worms. Um, I mean, and, that's the thing: is you go against the system, you got to be ready to fight. And it's, yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's a fucking. It's an uphill battle, and um, yeah, dude, it's just it, there's so many issues um, that come up in my mind um, that are interconnected with that, um, and they just kind of manifest. Uh, into to where we are today like i'm i'm you know i love my daughter and i'm really happy that um she's part of our family but um there's a lot of heaviness around um the circumstances in which that that happened and we're going to be working through that for ourselves we're going to be working through that with her for you know the rest of our lives and um, but one thing you can say for certain though regardless to everything that comes along with it is that 
she's better off with you guys in her life than not in her life. Um, I mean, that's the hope, right? Like, um, you, you know, you, you hope you're not going to fucking fuck, fuck up this kid's life. Um, you're, you're too humble to say it, but I mean, I think that that's, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have tried and you wouldn't be, you wouldn't have her as a part of your family if you thought anything otherwise. And I think that at the end of the day, she's going to, she's going to be incredible and she's going to be, have a much better life. And that's something for everybody to understand the importance of when it comes to adoption is that, you know, a lot of these kids, like you said, they're coming from, you know, underprivileged families and families from minority neighborhoods that don't see the same um, financial as well as institutional help for, you know, parents. And so they're left out in the cold and without somebody like you, you know, that the path is very dark that they can walk. Yeah. I mean, you know, I definitely am hopeful that, um, you know, the actions that I take and, um, we as a family take, um, can bring good and love and give, uh, you know, shelter and life and a family to someone who, you know, was, um, not receiving that, um, for whatever circumstances. Um, but I also, like you're saying, like, I don't don't know if it's humility, but I feel really fucking uncomfortable with, um, how often people are like, Oh, you're doing a, a good thing. You know what I mean? Like, um, you, you've done, you've done a, you've done a really great thing for her. Like it's this like fucking hero shit that mm-hmm. foster parents seem to hear. Um, there's something that doesn't fucking sit well, um, with me for, with that. Um, there's, you know, I, I, the, the, the easiest way that I can explain that to you is that it feels like I was like duped into being like part of the system (laughs) and and on the side of the cops and shit. Like like, white knight that you didn't. Yeah. Like I, I I went in there and I was like, yeah, we're going to do this like as an anti-racist action and like do some work and, you know, help kids have a roof over their heads for like, a month or two or whatever the fuck we thought we were getting ourselves into. Um, and then we ended up, you know, with getting all of this like praise from, you know, cops. (laughs) So it just feels, it feels heavy and it's complicated and, um, it's worth, it's worth exploring and it's worth thinking about. Um, so yeah well, I'm, I'm appreciative and it's like i mean you know as much as anybody else that like a lot of these people ourselves included who are um have our parents around it's not the parents you're born to aren't always perfect and a lot of them are absolute trash so you know for, yeah for I, sure and a lot of us came from parents who weren't married or who weren't looking for kids and it's the fact that you actually like went out there and a chose to not have another child, which is like one of the leading most wor- worst decisions you could make in terms of uh, climate change. <laughs> oh, dude, for sure. A- abortion yeah. should be for fucking free and for everybody. They should hand that shit out. <laughs> <laughs> 
I know. I feel like I feel like we've got to got to take up the cause of men being able to get an abortion, right? Equality, you know. Fuck. <laughs> I'll let you get back to life, but I I do want to ask you one more question. What like just looking forward? In what ways do you think you know your family, your your wife, your kids? What what ways do you think they're going to influence the way you approach? your creative outlets from here on out, whether that be sign painting or whether that be wherever things take you post sign painting. Yeah. I mean, they're a huge influence on me forever. Um, like I, I, I can't overemphasize how differently I see the world through each different phase of my kids and how they, and how they are growing and how the questions that they ask me, um, for one, um, just being able to reframe um, is both scary and refreshing, I think. And um, being so close to people um, as you are to kids that are your kids um, or your partner um, and being able to reframe um, your view of the world, even if it's things that you thought you've understood or you're an expert on um is fucking super beneficial and always refreshing and sometimes scary um for sure but i think that that's like the number one um way that they influence me um and you know they all keep me in check for sure keep me from fucking doing stupid shit um making me think about um you know, how I live my life, not, you know, just putting myself in harm's way or whatever, but, um, like we were talking about earlier, like living a life of integrity, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, you're, uh, having a family is a really good way to keep you accountable. Um, and, um, you know, keep you to, to your word, right? Um, Absolutely. And, that's you know they're like it's off it's kind of cliche i guess where um people will will call their 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 family their their backbone or you know um their support um but i think it's it's true in a um a more existential way like that too where they keep you accountable to um the person that you want to be too you know um and just caring for other people um, at that magnitude um, will allow you to um, step outside of just yourself and your own like selfish needs. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think that that, that um, opens, opens up your world too. Um, just getting outside of yourself for a little bit and to be able to have that, you know, around you and as an influence, um, is, you know, invaluable and always going to be influential on like everything that I do because uh, I don't live in, in a vacuum alone or, you know, under a bell jar. Um, I live in an ecosystem, you know, in a world, um, and everything that I do, um, will affect and is affected by everything else and having a family 
um, I think is a super good reminder of that. Definitely. All right, brother. Well, thank you. I love you. I appreciate you. And I love uh, you. thank you for uh, for this. This is fun. Of course, man. Is there just is there any? I mean, we'll drop in the in the notes on the podcast all the you know social media and all that kind of stuff so people can get a hold of you. But is there any like last thoughts? Anything that you definitely want to make sure everybody checks out? Um, book recommendation during this time? Movie? Yeah, there's so there's so much stuff. Um, I because of what. I do. I listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> um, I can just fucking put on a podcast. Um, and so I listen to um, like kind of silly shit. Sometimes there's a really good one called worst year ever that I've been listening to um, that uh, has this dude, Robert Evans, who has done a bunch of other fucking kind of more intense um, podcasts, but Worst Year Ever is a pretty good one. Um, as far as books are concerned, um, I just read um, an old book, but it's really good. It's called Solid Ad Brother. It's about George Jackson um, and the... Um, it's it's uh you know like a, a prison rights um book it talks about um george jackson and his influence in his letters when he was in soledad before he was killed um and he was affiliated with like the panthers and shit right. um and so that one's pretty fucking intense and good if you're down for intense shit right um yeah you know, there's there's just so much shit um, up here. Um, there's a couple of cool organizations. Um, one is Punks with Lunch, and they're doing you know um, harm reduction, um, direct action type shit, um, and also Homeless Youth Alliance. Um, people should check them out and give them money especially now um because there's just you know so much need yeah absolutely um yeah i don't know i should have i should have had a list of things that, that's, good. that's a pretty good list this, that'll that'll keep busy, people busy <laughs> word i'm gonna look um okay last question what what how many times do you think over under um you said the word um would you say over or under 100 well over <laughs> I know we're gonna have to summer for sure. <laughs> you soon. All right, bud. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Creativity on Love Extremist Radio. Find Phil America on Instagram at Phil P H I L America. And if you dig this podcast, please write an honest review on iTunes and share it with your community. Every share goes a long way in supporting this project. I want to give a special thanks to Aaron Kanata for producing our theme music. And if you're curious to learn what being a love extremist is all about, check it out at www.extremist.love. Have a great day.
This is Conversations with Creativity.